0: Friday in the church, as we uh, gathered, we celebrated a movable feast with the Feast of the Sacred Heart. It's a reminder that Jesus Christ, in his flesh, took on flesh to show the love of God to us, and in that love, continues to give us mercy. Usually, most uh June the 24th, except for the, if it happens to be a movable feast or fall on, I'll take that back, I think even if it falls on, no, yes, even if it falls on Sunday, I believe, uh, the Feast of the uh, Birth of John the Baptist takes place. And so it was quite fitting that the decision for reversing Roe, the, the Dobbs case, would be released. On that particular day because from now on we will remember it on the birth of John the Baptist and hopefully we'll call to mind and it was a mercy of God that definitely was present in reversing that tragic decision and I say tragic not just because of the immorality of it but it was a bad decision for a number of reasons constitutionally speaking that there's nowhere in the Constitution that allows such a thing, and that's ultimately what the five judges agreed on, that uh, came with the majority opinion. At the same time, I was pleased, and I say that with some concern, but I was pleased that it was not a moment of sticking it in, in, the, in the other guy's face, but rather of remembering of gathering and celebrating the work that had been done, so much work that had already been laid down that now seemed to have come to fruition, that so many pro-life voices have fought for that day, but not in a matter of justice, and, or, or for a matter of justice, but not just a matter of, of again, pride, or triumphalism, or whatever it is. Because I think it ultimately comes down to this gospel passage and what John and James experience. And I, I think instinctively, we on the pro-life side kind of understand that. First, the, the scene, of course, the Samaritans were not liked by the Jewish people. That is quite an understatement, by the way. They saw themselves as completely different. Even though the Samaritans were culturally descended somewhat from the Jewish people, they had, they had married into the uh, people of Samaria and had diluted, according to the Jewish people, the faith. They had the Torah, but the language had changed, so they call it the Torah. The, it, there was culturally th- some things that had had occurred in the worship of hating gods to a certain degree. And so the Jewish people looked on them with disdain. They would literally go out of their way to avoid the Samaritans. They would walk around Samaria, a few days' journey around Samaria, rather than cutting right through to go to Jerusalem. But that's exactly what Jesus does. He sets his face like flint, other translations tell us. He sets his face resolutely to go right through, and he sends emissaries before him to proclaim the gospel, and of course the gospel at this point is repent and believe in the good news, the good news that Jesus Christ is here, that our Savior is here. And this particular village that we hear about does not want to receive the message does not want to receive Jesus and James and John. It's one of those funny stories that, uh, not funny as in you know, a whole whole laughable thing, but the situation. Think about it. James and John, shall we call down fire upon them and destroy them? Take, take, wipe them off the face of the earth. It's been done before. Sodom and Gomorrah. Shall we just call down fire and destroy them? Now, somebody who has the idea of a wrathful God would say, Jesus would definitely go along with that sentiment. Uh, it's just easier just to deal with them, let's just zap them, kill them, burn them up with fire, then we don't have to worry about them. Nothing's going to stand in our way. Instead, Jesus allows it. Not that he tolerates and that he loves people who do not love him, He does love people who do not love him, by the way, but he doesn't love the fact that they don't love him. But rather, he allows it because he knows he wants to give them a second chance, or a third chance, or a tenth chance. That as long as they have life, there's a chance for conversion. And that's ultimately what the message is. It's not just the message, but the call to conversion that he's inviting everyone to have. And this Samaritan village as a whole is given a second chance. And he calls and he tells about that, the cost of discipleship, that we cannot set the hand to the plow and look back. That, that following Jesus means sometimes we're not going to have a bed to lay in. Things aren't going to be comfortable for most of us if, if uh, we want to take it, put it a little bit more modern. Most of us have beds to lay in and pillows under our head. But sometimes following the Lord isn't always comfortable. He's telling us to be aware that sometimes we're not going to get our way. Sometimes we have to let go in order to follow that message of conversion. And he gives us that, that chance of conversion time and again. With this particular decision, and I've heard lots of objections. In fact, somebody said, you priests better not talk about this. Remember, one quarter of all women, all Catholic women, have received an abortion. First of all, I don't know if that statistic is real or not. It might be one quarter of, of women who go for an abortion are a Catholic, but that doesn't mean that's one quarter of all Catholic women. Because how many have had two or three or more? But more importantly, morality is not a function of plurality. How many people have had adulterous relationships? Does that mean that's moral? Well, let's make it a little bit personal for the church. How many priests have abused? One is too many. But how many priests have abused? Does that make it, does that make it moral? Of course not. Even if everyone does it, it doesn't make it less sinful. We have to remember this. That it's a destruction of human life. And that's what we are holding on to on the pro-life side. And for those who have had an abortion, there's always mercy. And that's the thing we need to remember. It doesn't matter what we've done in the past if we've come to the Lord and asked forgiveness. And there's always forgiveness. Always. I read something, and it's not the first time I've read it, but but I thought of a million reasons why the Lord shouldn't love me, and not one of them was valid. The Lord loves us. He wants to give us all a second chance. No matter if we've had an abortion or, or committed adultery or fornication or any, any sexual sin, whether we're gluttonous or lustful. You know, after all, we remember that Jesus says whoever's looked at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery. How many of us can say every thought we've ever had is completely pure? The Lord wants and desires mercy wants to give his mercy to us. Again, the Sacred Heart reminds us of this. And we might ask, well, what is it all for? Why does the Lord want us to have mercy, to receive his mercy? And we hear it today in this second reading, and we hear it probably most profoundly in this second reading than we do anywhere else. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. That Christ freed us from sin and death so that we can live the life of grace, that He wants us to be free. And so often we get it backward. We think if we follow Jesus Christ, if we become His servants, then somehow we're less free. Nothing could be further from the truth. When we become servants of Jesus Christ, we become more free, more who we are, more who God has created us to be. That God in His love and His mercy desires us to be free. And those who are caught in lives of sin, Are the ones who are trapped. They might not be able to see it, but they're the ones who are trapped. God wants us to be free. St. Paul tells us that it's for freedom that Christ set us free and so do not submit yourselves again to the yoke of slavery. Do not give yourselves to the temptation of the flesh to seek his freedom. Jesus tells us in this Gospel passage, whoever sets his hand to the plow and looks back to what was left behind is unworthy of the kingdom. We know this literally is, is the case for, especially for oxen, you who drive, drive John Deere and Case and uh, internationals and all these other brands of tractors. If you've never drawn, driven driven an oxen, you probably are unaware, but. Oxen have a mind of their own and they will go wherever they want. And so you have to constantly looking forward, making sure that they're going in the right direction. But even then, I know enough about driving a tractor that you can't constantly look behind because if you do, you're going to not have such straight rows. You have to look ahead. Jesus is telling us to look ahead, to look at what our goal is in life. What is our goal? It's heaven. And so once we set our face like Jesus Christ, like Flint, towards our eternal, heavenly Jerusalem, to keep looking forward, to not not look past to the past, to the back, to what we've done, how we failed, but to look forward to his mercy, how he forgives us, how he loves us. There is healing. I have to admit I'm Excited to see what's going to happen in these next years, and I know it's going to be chaos perhaps But we as a church need to stand up and remind people the dignity of life And I don't think we can allow people to stand any longer and say well, you know abortion is the law of the land I think we're going to have to make the choice and Not that the church is then in the background but now to step into the foreground to remind our culture that we have been here all along working for mothers in difficult pregnancies. Why well, I hear it so often too that the church is only pro-birth. They don't care about the child once the child is born. Well, wait a minute here. The church has adoption agencies, hospitals, care centers. The church operates Rehabilitation centers. The church operates food shelves. Crisis pregnancy centers, which help a woman all along into early childhood. The church has provided schools. We have a school here that we have supported so well. These are all pro-life initiatives. Now is the time for the church to step even clearer in her mission, to look forward to what can be done And remind all, remind all the dignity of life that begins from that first moment of conception. There's nothing in the past, nothing in the past that prevents us from moving to the future. Those that would seek to destroy, seek to condemn, are not following the pattern of Jesus Christ, who seeks to reconcile and to redeem.